you will open your Bibles with me, we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 53. a moment to get there if you want to follow along. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed For our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And if you'll turn back over to Colossians, we'll just review our passage one more time for this morning. Colossians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, To make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The very word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You pray with me? Oh, Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you, as our passage says this morning, for the mystery, God, of your word. The, the, God, the truths that are just waiting Um, to be revealed, to be unfolded, to be unpacked, to be hidden in our hearts. God, we praise you for your word, and we ask now, God, that you would be present with us as we open it together. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts this morning would be pleasing to you, O God, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, our pastor was on study leave this week, and he asked me, in light of the fall festival, to preach on gluttony. So, he thought it would really hit home, but it hit home too much for me, so I switched to... I'm just kidding. We're going to stick with our Colossians passage this morning. Paul starts the passage in verse 24 this morning... Talking about suffering. We'll connect this in a minute with our passage from Isaiah. But Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse this week, I kind of went, huh? I, there, like many of Paul's writings, sometimes the verses are, you have to really pick apart, which is the beauty of God's word as you pick it apart more and more and more and more is revealed. But what does Paul mean that in his flesh he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church? We read about Christ's afflictions in Isaiah 53. What could be lacking? What could Paul be filling up that is lacking in Christ's afflictions? I think what Paul's saying here is that in his suffering, in Paul's suffering, he is Christ's representative. That as Christ suffered, so Paul also suffers for the body of Christ and therefore represents Christ in his suffering. In our Old Testament passage, Isaiah said that Christ was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. His chastisement brings us peace and by his wounds we are healed. Paul is saying in this passage in Colossians this morning that Christ's suffering was not meaningless. We read that in Isaiah, that all the suffering was meant for something. Paul's saying all his suffering is meant for something as well, and therefore our suffering is also not meaningless. Hearing the update on Barb this morning, you can tell that that is her mindset, that nothing is meaningless. In Romans 5, we're going to be all over Scripture this morning, so if you just want to jot these down on that note sheet that I gave you uh, in your bulletin, if you want to just jot down these Scriptures as we hit them, go back later and unpack them for yourself. But we're going to go to Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, you hear echoes of that Isaiah passage. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Amen? Amen? There we go. Audience participation. Everyone loves it. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That one's a little tougher. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. How we view our suffering reveals much to ourselves about our relationship with Christ and how we react or respond. Understand those are two very different things. How we react or respond to our suffering as a Christian reveals much to the world about our hope, about who Jesus is. We'll come back to the hope piece in a minute. But our response to suffering is key to our relationship with Christ and it's key to showing who Christ is to those around us. In the second verse of our Colossians passage this morning, verse 25, 
Paul says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. I love this verse. In fact, it's our memory verse this morning in your bulletin. But what is a steward? A lot of times you hear stewardship talked about in a financial sense, about stewarding wealth or stewarding finances. If you use Google, Google tells you that a steward is a person who manages another's property or financial affairs, one who administers anything as an agent of another or others. Jesus, incidentally, gives us a perfect picture of stewardship in the parable of the talents. So we're going to go over to Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, to another one talent, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master... You delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So based on this picture that Jesus gives us, then what does it mean to steward the word of God? Paul says he's become a minister to steward the word of God. And I think this parable of the talents, at least for me this week in my study, was key The master was happy with all the servants except one. He was happy with all the servants except the one who did not multiply what the master had given him. See, the whole point of stewarding is to take something that is not yours and and to 
Treat it in such a way to grow it, to multiply it, so that when you give it back to the other person, there's more than there was when it was given to you. To take care of it in a way that is wise so that it grows. So what does this tell us about what Paul is saying here about making God's word fully known? How do you multiply God's word? In Isaiah 26, verse 8, the word says, Yes, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we wait eagerly for you. For your name and renown are the desire of our souls. Psalm 138, verse 2 says, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. So to multiply the word of God, we are to lift on high his name and his word. We're to make known above all things his name and his word. Now you think, of course, that's what we're to do. But think about all the things, all the conversations we have in a given day. And all the things that we make known in a given day. And how many of those things are God's name and God's word? Those of you who know me know that I talk incessantly. And that it takes me five minutes to say good morning. So you can imagine all the conversations I have in a work day. And I think to myself, how many of those conversations are making God's name and his word known? Some of them. Maybe the ones where I'm expected to say those things. But it's hard sometimes to step out. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's a purpose for Scripture. There's a purpose for God's Word. God left it for us for a reason. It wasn't by chance. It didn't happen on accident. These things that people wrote down didn't just drift down to us thousands of years later just on a whim. But it's not, pa- it's not possible to have a passion for God's name and not have a passion For God's word. Because they go together. To make his name great. You must make his word known. You can't do one without doing the other. And I think that's what Paul is saying this morning. When he talks about presenting the word. And and spreading it to the Gentiles. and, and, And spreading it everywhere. That as we make his name great, we must make his word known. You can't separate who God is from God's word. No more can you separate who I am from my words, who you are from your words. Jesus said that your, your words are an overflow of your heart. You can't divorce the two. Though sometimes we want to. Sometimes we put something out there and we just want to reel it back in real quick before somebody hears it, but it's too late. 
God is the one we proclaim. We admonish one another. We teach one another with wisdom so that we may present one another fully mature in Christ. Let me ask a question. How will the world know who Jesus really is if we, the body of Christ, don't show them? If we don't tell them? How many people do you come in contact with on a regular basis that have a false representation of who Jesus is? And maybe it's because somebody said something to them and they didn't understand. Maybe it's because some well-meaning Christian was just doing, saying something wrong on, you know, at the wrong time. We've all done it. Maybe it was something that they pulled from some life experience, but they have some false representation of who Jesus really is. How will that false representation ever get corrected, and how will they be brought into the body if we don't go, if we don't talk, if we don't have relationships? Because so many that we encounter every single day don't have a relationship with Christ for a lot of reasons. If you sit and listen to people talk about why they don't believe in God, you'll notice they come through all sorts of doors. Well, there can't be a God because of this. God doesn't love me because of that. If God loved me, this wouldn't have happened. If God cared, if God was all-powerful and all-loving, he would have stopped this person from dying. He, all of these reasons, everyone who comes to unbelief, comes to unbelief through different doors. Just like many of us who believe came through different paths. But if we don't show them what that relationship with Christ is like, how will they know? Have you ever gone through Scripture and sought out the promises of Scripture? The promises in God's Word? I did just some some short, quick study on it this week, and I was very overwhelmed. Um, Romans 8, verses 1 and 2 say, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Isaiah 41.10, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Deuteronomy 31.8, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there are many more. How will they know? How will we know that these promises exist if we don't spend time with God in His Word If we don't tell people about these things, how will they know that these things exist to be claimed? These promises are yours to claim. I shared with my small group a 
few weeks ago, um, a, a friend of mine that many of you have prayed for for the last couple of years passed away. And I was really concerned about whether or not he knew Christ. And I shared with my small group that as I was praying about it, I became convicted that if I've known someone for 15 years, why should I be worried about whether or not they've heard about Jesus if I've been in their life for 15 years? And it was very, it was very, very con- convicting in a good way for me that how often do I have the conversations that need to happen? We are complete in Christ. We have been given a call to build our faith further so that our maturity in Him grows further. It's implied in stewarding the Word of God that we must know the Word of God. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it is implied that you memorize every verse from cover to cover and be able to recite the whole thing from front to back. That's not what I'm saying. And I think you know that. I'm not even suggesting that you must be perfect in your knowledge of every piece of God's Word. How many times have you come to God's Word, a piece of Scripture that you've read 25 zillion times in your lifetime, and you come to it this time, and now all of a sudden it means something different, the like the, the clouds clear away and you see it clearly and you go, oh my gosh, that's what that means? I've read it this way for how long and now I understand? You don't need to be perfect in your knowledge of the Word of God, but I'm simply saying that it's good and it's right and it's necessary to know what God's Word says, what it has to say for your life and what it has to say for the lives of those around you. And you can't know that if you don't spend time in it. And if you're like me for so many years, I remember coming to triads on early mornings with Dave and, and talking about quiet time. And I just kept saying, yeah, but I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy. I'm just, I, can't, I can't carve out the same time every day because I have kids and I have a more than you know, eight-hour day at work. And I'm, just, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. And then when I finally decided to stop with that, all the excuses, and make the time every day, I was amazed at how much I hungered for the Word every single day. I remember several years ago we had this guy come to work, talk about health, everyone's favorite topic, right? And he said that we should give up Diet Coke. And it's what I said. I said, this guy's a nut. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He said, it's like rat poison. I said, no, it's not. It tastes great. And the first Diet Coke of the day tastes better than all the others. And he said, if you'll drink water, you'll find yourself thirsting for water. And I said, no, I won't. Water doesn't taste like anything. Unless you get those little powder things and mix in or whatever. But I gave up Diet Coke. I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to prove this guy wrong, right? So I gave up Diet Coke for six weeks straight. I went completely off Diet Coke, completely. And employed the use of Excedrin a few times. Um, But I started drinking water all the time. And I started the thirst for water. 
I started to want water. And I hated that man that came in and talked about health. But it works the same way with God's word. We, I mean, for, for how many years when we're growing in our faith do we look at God's word as this thing that we open in church on Sunday and, oh goodness, we look at the Old Testament as this dry and dusty volume and it's beautiful and there's Jesus all through all of it and he's at the center of it and it all goes toward him and flows from him. And how will we know if we don't spend time in it and how can we tell others if we don't commit it to our hearts. I said you don't have to memorize every verse from front to back. But should we memorize scripture? Yeah. Yeah, we should. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. John 14.26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. How will the Holy Spirit call those things up if we have not hidden them in our hearts and our minds? And make no mistake, the Holy Spirit will call them forward when the time is right. You'll be going through something in your life and the Spirit will call scriptures to your mind. You'll be in a situation, you'll be having a bad day and the the Spirit will call scriptures to your mind. You'll be having a conversation with someone else and the Spirit will call scripture to your mind. It's It's amazing. It really is amazing. Because there'll be scriptures that I didn't even think I remembered anymore. (laughs) And they'll come to mind. And, uh, And it can't be me because I wasn't even, I, yeah, if you had said, recite this, I couldn't have done it. But you'll hear something on TV, you'll see something on TV, you'll hear something on the radio, and the Holy Spirit will call scriptures to mind. And I just simply say this, if you don't believe me, like I didn't believe the evil health man, simply try this for yourself. Take like two or three scriptures that are special to you and memorize them. Just memorize them and go through them every day and, and commit them to memory and see, A, if you don't hunger to memorize more and B, see if those things don't come up in your mind on the regular when you weren't expecting. As we steward the word of God, our relationship with Christ grows stronger just as your relationship with another human being grows stronger as you meet for lunch, as you have conversations, as you talk on the phone, as you text, as you spend time together, as you converse together, you get to know them more and the relationship grows stronger. It is no different with God. As we steward the word of God, our relationship with Christ grows stronger. The hope of Christ in us will shine out like a beacon in the darkness of this world. I just want to be crystal clear on something this morning. The source of our hope is that Jesus Christ did in fact die on a cross to pay our debt that we could not pay on our own. And three days later was raised from the dead thereby giving us a path to eternal life and right relationship with our Father in heaven. Amen? First time that time. Good. 
The source of our hope is that heaven exists and is very real. It's not a fairy story. The source of our hope is that one day we no longer have to deal with the brokenness of our own bodies, the brokenness of our own hearts, but will be made right and will be made the way we were always intended to be. The source of our hope is that one day we won't struggle with sin anymore. And we won't struggle with addiction. And we won't struggle with depression. And we won't struggle with anxiety. And we won't struggle with cancer. But we'll be made perfect by our Father in heaven who loves us more than we could ever imagine. As we steward the word of God, as our relationship with Christ grows, as that hope shines, the gospel is multiplied The body of Christ grows stronger because people start to see Christ in you. Which sounds unbelievable. It sounds crazy, as a matter of fact. But they begin to see Christ in us through our brokenness. And they begin to say, what is that? That's when you get to talk. That's when you get to use words. Because people who never knew before that such a hope could even exist are now fully relying on Christ as their source of hope and strength. So in your small groups today, whether it's meeting with us after the service, we have two small groups that meet upstairs. Please come join us. Small groups throughout the week. I want you to discuss this. I know you have a discussion guide and you can use that in addition to this. But I want you to discuss how can you spend more time in God's Word each day. Just take a day. Don't worry about a week, a month, a year. Just a day. How can you spend more time in God's Word each day? How can you commit it to memory? What are you going to do to commit it to memory? And then how are you going to share that with someone else? And here's the thing. If the, if the answer is, I don't know how I'm going to do those things, that's okay. Encourage one another. Brainstorm together. Give one another examples of how do you do it. Give someone that example that they can, they can borrow maybe for their own life to figure out how they're going to do it in their own life. Then come back next week and ask one another how it went. I feel like we say a lot of things and then the next week we come back, we don't remember what we said. We don't ever check up. Ask one another how it went. How'd you do? What verse did you memorize? Can we do that? I see some nodding heads. I'll take that. Can you pray with me? Oh, Father, we thank you for the blessing of your word. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the fact that nothing is meaningless, God. That every word of your scripture means something. Every name in those genealogies that we skip over represents a story that led to Christ. Father, we thank you for using us in some way, somehow, in our brokenness, in your story to reach others, for entrusting this gospel to us, God. We love you. We thank you so much for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.